Amen. Thank you for that opening. <clears throat> so I'd like to open with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, Father, we thank you for this time to come together here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We pray, Father, that you give us revelation. Pray, Lord, that you speak to us, that you reveal to us your heart, that you open your word, that you give us revel more revelation of you. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you have adopted us as your children. We pray, Lord, that we would grow deeper <clears throat> in that relationship, in that love, that father-son relationship that you would have from all of us. Bless the word that we bring here. I pray that you would give the increase in Jesus' name. Amen. So this Father's Day, I'd like to speak on the, the, father, the father heart of, uh, of God for his children. And maybe a little bit on, on us as fathers, what we are to be. So I want to start with a story out of uh, John chapter 10, verses, uh, starting at verse 23. If you want to turn there. And this is an encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees where he, uh, he was in the temple and they finally got him a little bit in a corner and they asked him the question that was on all their minds after all this time of watching him and waiting for him that was he the Messiah. That is what they wanted to know. And they wanted an emphatic yes. They wanted to. I think in a sense the Pharisees wanted to get behind Jesus. They wanted to be able to say, yes, this is the one. He's going to become a king and just help him rise to power. But they had um, a great misunderstanding on who, <clears throat> on what that kingdom was. But the, what, what I want to look at here is the aspect of Jesus as the Son of God. And how that, when Jesus said that, that really threw the Pharisees for a loop. So I want to, let's go ahead and read John 10, verse 23. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him, and they said unto him, so they came round about him, and I picture them kind of cornering them, cornering Jesus, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not, my not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And here he's saying, I've told you, but you don't understand because you are not my sheep. You can't, you don't understand it. And here Jesus is responding to his uh, adversaries, I want to say, in, a, in, a, in his typical way, with a parable or a story, 
that it, it does answer the question very quite clearly if you look at it. But they had a hard time seeing or even understanding the answer. But uh, what he says <clears throat> about his sheep and his disciples is a beautiful example telling us of how Jesus is like a good shepherd with his sheep. And they know him. So verse 30, he says, I and my father are one. And it seems like this was one of the moments they were waiting for. In a sense, they wanted Jesus to say he was one way or the other. They suspected he was a lunatic. But then they also suspected he might be what he claimed he is. <clears throat> Verse 30, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And they picked up stones and they were going to stone him there. So according to, to the Jews, Jesus had just crossed a line that I believe no one in Palestine, no one in Israel at that time would have dared to cross. I don't think even a king of that area would have said, said something like that because of how the Jews reverenced God. They had a very high reference, a reverence, a very high respect of God. And he said he was one with God. He was one with God. Now today, nowadays, we use a lot of verbiage like that. We say things like that all the time. We hear things like that all the time. We say we're sons of God. We say we're children of God. That's common, common language for us. But here for the Jews, this was over the top. And we have to appreciate that a little bit, I think that this was something that no one had ever, up to Jesus, had ever, would ever have dared to say. No, no Jew would ever have dared to say something like this. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shewed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. The Jew... <clears throat> Because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If ye call them gods, unto whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Say ye of them whom the Father has sanctified and sent into this world, Thou blasphemest because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe me, believe not me. Believe the works that ye may know. And believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So here Jesus brings out the challenge. He, he asked them, why do you want to stone me? He was, they were going to kill him. And he, it seems to me he brings out a bit of an obscure passage from Psalms saying, uh, Ye are gods. And proclaims that, um, and I think he threw him off track a little bit with, with scripture here. But he proclaims that truly he was, he truly is sent by God. Even if they don't want to believe him, he, is, he, he was sent by God. And that they should look at his works and his miracles and believe him. And that's one thing they could not refute. 
I mean, they kept saying again and again, it came up with the Pharisees that he does the works of the devil. And Jesus said, if, if the devil is working against the devil, he's, he's done for. And Jesus refuted them in that way that he was doing the works of God. And they could not argue that. They tried. They tried to argue that some of his, work, his miracles were of the devil and that he was of the devil because he did some things on the Sabbath day. <clears throat> but one of the things I want to say in their defense is that they were defending the law, or they thought they were, even though they didn't understand it. This was a completely new idea about God. A new concept, a new revelation of who God was and who God wanted to, was to, wanted to be in our lives. The idea that God had or He has a son is still today, it's a stumbling block to, to um, old order Jews, to non-converted Jews and, and to Muslims alike. They say God is one. How can He have a son? How can there be two? And, and things like that. So it's hard, it was hard for them to comprehend it, to accept that. And here is Jesus before the Jews and Pharisees, and they don't know quite what to do with this. They want to blaspheme him on, they want to stone him for blasphemy on one hand, and yet they, they're looking at his works, and they cannot, they cannot deny that he is of God. <clears throat> but what I want to take out here is that God is for the first time with Jesus presented as the, as the Father, God the Father. In the Old Testament, I, I never found any reference, reference to uh, God being addressed or referring or even referring to God as a Father. And uh, there's no reference that, reference that God had any interest or wants to be a father for his people. You know, there are many, well, there is the, 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 the overarching theme that God is drawing his people and he wants to be his, uh, the, the God, the, the one true God of his people throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> but there are many references to, uh, to the God of Abraham, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but it could definitely be that I missed it. And like I said, there's the big picture of, the, of God's heart for his people. Like my dad mentioned in the opening, um, the patient, suffering love of God with the children of Israel. But here comes Jesus on the scene. And the angels, <clears throat> when they announced the birth of Jesus, they said in Luke 1.32, The angel says to Mary, And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, <clears throat> and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom there shall be no end. And he shall be called the Son of the Highest, the Son of God. So it's, it's the first time, and I, wanna, I, I say that because it's the first time that it's mentioned clearly that he, Jesus, will be the Son of God. He is the Son of God. The, the Jews were still expecting a Messiah that was... I think a man. I don't think, in a sense, he was more than a man, but they did not quite know what to make of it. 
<clears throat> so the Jews still can't accept that God has a son, and he has a begotten son. I mean, how can that even be? So here in the New Testament, we have Jesus. He calls himself the Son of Man. And sometimes, like in the, in the passage we just covered, he clearly calls himself the Son of God. So if, if he was the Son of God, God also was his Father. So here we, have, we, have, we see this, uh, this picture of God opening up, of God as a Father. And Jesus, he prayed to God as his Father. He said, our Father, my Father. He continuously addresses God as his Father, which is not a Jewish thing. And like I said earlier, no one, nowhere in the Old Testament did I see anything um, and I didn't do a very deep study, but I never saw anyone praying to God as their father, which it, it just surprised me a little bit. <clears throat> but did you, did you, do you ever stop and ponder the Lord's Prayer? The introduction to the Lord's Prayer. We pray, Our Father who art in heaven. And this is, remember, we, and, and we lose sight of that a little bit. But this is, here we are addressing the same God who was on Mount Sinai. The same God who Elijah met on, on who, was, who was there with Elijah on Mount Horeb, where the earth shook and, and, and the rocks quaked and broke for the force of him. <clears throat> and so I never quite noticed how, how very different this was from the Old, yeah, old Covenant. Um, here Jesus was presenting God as his father. And it, he said it's possible for all. <clears throat> and it's possible for us all to have him as our father. For all who believe and put their trust in him. You know, it still amazes me that God is, is looking for a father-son father relationship a father-daughter relationship with his creation, with us, with rebellious people, with people who are in sin, people who turn their backs on God, people who are constantly failing to do what's right. It's hard to reconcile. It's a little bit hard to reconcile that God, he loves us like his own children. And, and part of the mystery is, is that God is just, that God is righteous, and that is never compromised. God cannot compromise that, and yet we are in sin. And yet God is longing to have that relationship restored, to bring us into his presence. And the only way he can do that is through, was through the cross, is through grace, through mercy and forgiveness. In just, by justice alone, we can never be restored to God. We can never earn it. We can never deserve it. <clears throat> so, that's the, the Father, God the Father. So as children, we all need a Father. All children need a father, um, spiritually, physically, and spiritually. There's a need and an importance of a father in everybody's life. 
And I want to take a few minutes here to say to, to, to speak on what kind of a father. If God is a father, what kind of a father is he then? There are many types of fathers in this world. In, in one sense of the word, there are fathers who aren't fathers at all. You know, on one hand, someone becomes a father when he, uh, when he fathers a child. When he begets a son or a daughter, he biologically becomes a father. But that's only the most basic and the simplest definition of a father. In fact, we can't even apply that aspect to God of our Father. God, did, God had one only begotten Son. That aspect of a, of a father, just a biological one, it's not the one that we can even apply to, uh, to our spiritual life. We become the children of God by adoption. There is the new birth. That is his life inside us. God being a father to us, is, it's a definition of the relationship between us and God. The father-son relationship. So when I think about father, it's, it's like a, it's a description of that relationship that is to be there. <clears throat> a father-child uh, relationship it's one that we all can relate to. And that's one of the beauties of it. That every human being on the planet can relate to that relationship. Every person. And I believe that's part of the reason um, God chose to use that, to, to, to be that. Or maybe that's why he created the whole thing the way he did. Um, but it's inside every person, every child especially, there is a longing for a father to, to have the relationship, the approval of their father. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a relationship that we long for, whether we have it, whether someone has it or not. In every child, there is a longing for that relationship. <clears throat> a parent's relationship to their children. You know, one thing about a parent's relationship um, with their children is that it's not really negotiable. If you look at a, a, a child, children with their parents, the relationship, if it's a healthy family, if it's even a partially healthy family, the relationship, that love that's there in the family, it's not negotiable. It shouldn't be up for question. A child should never have to wonder, do my parents love me? You know, and a lot of times children will get angry and they'll say, um, they'll say things like, you hate me. And they, when they don't mean it, when, when, well, and it's just an outburst of anger. But part of that is, is the growing assurance through that whole episode, a child should understand. <coughs> and that, that assurance that my parents love me no matter what. That should grow stronger. It should grow deeper. Not that a child should ever say something like that. But it happens. And these, uh, so you have that relationship with children and the father and the parents. It's, it's extremely deep and it's, it's extremely strong. Because um, between children, 
they'll come, children or, or girls or boys, they'll come into disagreements between themselves. And they'll come at odds and uh, I, they, want, they both want the same toy and they'll start arguing or fighting and the relationship is off. But then they go home to their parents and it's almost no matter what they do, the parents are still there. And at the end of the day, the parents will still love them and care for them. And the father still has a heart for his child. And even though you go through difficulties, you go through trials, you go through discipline sometimes, um, at the end of the day, there is that reconciling, that, that, uh, that relationship that is deep, that's not negotiable, and that there's a love there that the children find, can build their confidence in. And that's the depth, that, I think that's part of the beauty of the father-son relationship that makes it so deep, that makes it so strong. And that's what Jesus, um, the, what, what the father is looking, for in, is looking for in us. Or what we should be looking for in the father. <clears throat> so, so true parents' love is, is something that we can easily relate to and connect to. You know, and in a lot of cultures, even though a culture or pride or sin causes parents to do and say things that look like the opposite, I think deep inside, parents always love their children. How can you stop loving your child? unless someone is, is really corrupt. <clears throat> Inside all of us, there is that innate longing and that need for a father's love and a mother's love. <clears throat> so modern, modern psychology, with all the divorce in the world, um, they're seeing, there's, there's common studies, there's a lot of studies out there, how much the effect of the, how, how much of an effect the presence of a father's figure has in a child's life. It can be easily seen in studies. Children who grow up in broken homes, they often struggle with rejection. That's the big thing. Insecurities, personal development. It's common knowledge that prisons, that uh, you have a, a, there's a much higher possibility, probability of, uh, of uh, young people getting into drugs, prisons, uh, bad influence from a broken home. And there could be other factors in there. But part of, the, part of it, a large part of it, is the lack of security from not having a parent, not having a father there. <clears throat> and sometimes homes are broken up by reasons that we cannot change, things that are unavoidable, um, like accidents, deaths, and unavoidable circumstances. And there is no question that children can do well even in these circumstances, especially in Christian homes, and especially with Christian church communities. Those gaps can be filled by God and by other brothers and sisters. There's no question about it. But one of the biggest issues that children who have, who, with, without the father figure struggle with is rejection. When a child feels rejected by their parents, <clears throat> which is often the case with a divorce, uh, with divorced families, the child feels rejection, whether they are rejected or not. 
That is how usually what they take home. It seems like they lose their anchor point. They become disoriented. And it's expected that all children will go through some, feel some rejection in their interactions throughout their life with people. But as parents, we need to make sure that our children can have the confidence in the love of their parents toward them. There should be a confidence that a child can have that my parents, my father and my mother love me. And that's a beautiful thing. Children need to feel their father's love. They need to have confidence in their father's love. In the same way, in our Christian walk, we need to feel the father's love. We need to have, <clears throat> we need to have confidence in our father's love. Part of that, that relationship there, that God is to be our Father. And that He loves us and He cares for us. And He will provide. And He will be there for us when we need Him. It's a beautiful picture. And best of all, it's a picture that we can all relate to. There's, a, there's the, the need, then the longing is in every heart. In every heart. <clears throat> so what kind of a father is God? I want to continue on that note. You know, as humans, we all tend to get our impression of what a father is from our own fathers. We tend to see God the way we see, the way we grew up, the way we saw our father. A lot of times... People, usually almost, people see God, view God the way their father was. What that means is very often people who have a father who is abusive and unloving will unconsciously see God as angry, cold, and evil. That's how they see God. Because that's how they were molded as children. Very often people who have loving and caring fathers will have no problem seeing love, seeing love, seeing God as a loving and caring God. People who had cold and harsh parents will often view God as cold and harsh and unloving. If your parents let you get by with everything all the time, you might think God will do the same. If your parents were extremely harsh, you probably think God with God is the same. But one thing that we need to understand, that we need to know, is that a lot of these things are misconceptions. They're false. We have to get our view and our perspective of God from Scripture. We look to the Word, we look into the Word of God, and that is where we establish our reference point. In most of our Christian walk, we look at the Word of God, <clears throat> of what the Word, we have to look at what the Word of God says, and not, not, at what, not at our feelings, not at what we think. The Word of God is true, it's reliable, it's dependable. More so, and it's more dependable, and it's more reliable than any experience that we might have gone through. It's more reliable than any feelings that we might have. We can trust the Word of God. And we have Scripture. And if we look at Scripture, if we read Scripture, we study Scripture, 
Only then do we get a true picture of who God is. Of, of who truly God is. And I personally believe it's important for us to read the whole of Scripture. You know, in our time, it seems like most people read almost only the New Testament, which I believe gives us the, almost the clearest and the best view of God. But if we, if we neglect the Old Testament, if we don't read the Old Testament, we're only reading half the story. Well, not, not, maybe not. I, I wouldn't want to put a number on it. But the Old Testament is there. It's the Word of God. It's the written Word of God. And it gives us a picture of who God truly is. And a lot of times in the New Testament we read and we, and we put big emphasis and we study and we ponder on, on one verse of the grace of God and the mercy and the love and that God loves us and He cares of us. But there's also, even in the New Testament, there's, um, there's a severity with God. That God is serious. That there is um, there's a fearful aspect to God. And we as men, as humans, we are guilty before God. And it's only by grace, it's only by grace that we're saved. If we want to stand by justice, if we want to, to look at justice, and as, as humans also we have, we always, we want to see justice. We don't like to see someone um, get away with something. That he should have, that he's guilty of. I mean, if we, if we walk down the street and we see somebody hurting someone else, we want, we want to see justice worked out. We want, we, in our heart, I think we all want the law to come in and set that straight, correct that. And that's almost everybody, almost all, that's almost a human, universal aspect. We want to see justice. But when we look at our own lives, we're usually not quite ready for justice. And if we come before God, it's like uh, R.C. I heard R.C. Sproul a while back, and he said, uh, "Never come to God and ask for justice in your life, because if God gives us justice, we're in trouble. If we get justice, we're in trouble." There is no way. And we come to God and we're saved, and we come to Him through Christ, through His forgiveness, through His mercy in our life. And we're saved by grace, by what Christ did, by His sacrifice. We don't stand a chance by justice. And here we have God who has to be just. By his nature, he cannot, he cannot bend, he cannot compromise. No more than we like to see in our daily life. We look at, we hear a story about someone who stole or who murdered. And no more than we can accept that person walking away free. We, it, it just grates on us. If we say he gets away, he's free. 
No more than we can accept something like that. We want, we, we want to see justice served. No, how much further is God away from letting something slide, from letting sin go? He cannot. And yet God, in His love, in His grace, in His mercy, He made us a way. He made us a way for forgiveness, to come to Him. <clears throat> I have a quote here. By, uh, by A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. By A.W. Tozer. <clears throat> what comes into our mind when we think about God? Is He our Father? Love. Joy, peace, fear, good, gracious, merciful, just, sovereign, the holy, omnipotent, the unchangeable, the eternal God. <clears throat> the heart of God. So I want to go on with the, the heart of God. Who, how is the heart of God for his children? And there's a parable that we all know. We all know we could all tell it. And I want to go ahead and read it out of Luke 15, 11. It's probably one of the most popular stories of the New Testament, the prodigal son. Luke 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus is telling this story. We don't know quite if it's a story or if it's truly happened. Maybe it did. <clears throat> and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. Not many days after the young man, younger after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to want, to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, but no man gave it unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was, he had a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house and heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and the father had killed the fatted calf, <clears throat> because he had received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Then therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time against thy commandment. Yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come in, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. But, I, but it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. What a story of a father's love. And one of the interesting aspects of this parable brings out is, uh, is the type of father, that this type of father was not really typical in, uh, in the time of Jesus, in older times. It's not even a typical father in our society either. <coughs> Not every father would respond in this way. Especially in some of the thicker cultures of uh, honor and respect. and Like the Jews had. In fact, someone say that, that, he would, that this, this man even had more of a motherly heart. Of compassion toward his sons. Uh, but more so, in, in, in biblical times, fathers were more patriarchal. He was more a kingly master, master-like towards his sons. The whole idea that a father would give half of his inheritance to his younger son before he passed away is, is pretty far out. It's pretty radical already. But then to wait and watch daily, hoping for the return of his son, that's at yet another level. And then finally when his son does return to take him back on a completely no questions asked with open arms. Truly shows that this father's heart was not typical. In our day much less in the time of Jesus. It's almost like there's, there's one that came to mind. That's the, the story of King David with Absalom. And here Absalom was, had done some atrocious things. Worst, the worst things you could imagine against his father. And was trying to kill him. He was literally out in battle trying to kill his father David. And finally the news comes that, David, uh, that Absalom was killed. And David goes weeping and mourning total emotional wreck and uh, he went crying oh my son Absalom that's, that's the father it's almost like the father's heart that was, that's displayed here 
And then, you know, this father, he, he not only went out to look for the son that was lost, he also went out for the, second, for the, for the first son, the one who had stayed home, who wouldn't come into the feast. He went out and he went after him too. He truly cared. He loved his sons, both of them. And he wanted to bring them in, to bring, have them close to him. The story truly resonates with almost everyone. There's something real, there's something, something we can all connect with. <clears throat> you know, for many who grew up without a father in their home, or people who grew up in abusive situations, it, it might be a little foreign to them, but still deep down there is that longing and that desire for that relationship, for that love. <clears throat> So God is our Father. Who and what does God want to be to us? How much does He love us? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world. We can't understand it. There's a verse in Galatians 4, 5. I want to read, starting at 4, chapter 4, verse 5. To redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And here we have the love of the Father, where God adopted us as His children. And yet it's more than adoption. It's more than an adoption. It's deeper. We are part of the Father. Part of Jesus, God puts His life inside of His Spirit, is inside His sons and His daughters. That's how we are born again. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. So if God is our Father, then we become the children of God. When we're born again, we're born into the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God. We become a member of the family. We are His sons and daughters. Romans 8, verse 14, it, it reads along the same lines. For as many of us as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. To be the sons of God. He says, if children, if we're children, if we're the children of God, then we're His heirs. And if we're heirs of God, then we're joint heirs with Christ. 
You know, this adoption that we receive through Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not some half-hearted adoption to get, up all, get, get us off the streets and out of the rain for a few years like an orphanage would offer. It's a full adoption into the family of God. Like verse 17 says, joint heirs with Christ. We're not orphans. It's full adoption, full access, and full acceptance into the family of God. It's something that the men of old, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the kings and the prophets, I don't think they could even dream that far. That God would grant this adoption to be his sons and his daughters and his children. I want to close with the aspect of prayer. Now Jesus taught us how to pray. The disciples came to Jesus and asked him, teach us how to pray. And not only did Jesus pray our Father which art in heaven, he told his disciples to pray, to address God directly, personally. We can come to God and say, our Father who art in heaven. It's a beautiful aspect. It's a beautiful thing. There are beautiful promises. And God has given us so much. So I pray that God would give us a deeper realization and a reality in these truths. Amen.